0: Is Mike on? Episode ninety. What's wrong with Orny Adams? I'm I'm back from vacation, and whoever said I need a vacation for vacation was absolutely right. Vacations are stressful. Because there is an obligation to unwind. And unwinding is not easy. In fact, you don't unwind until probably the last day of the vacation. And then it's time to fly home and it's back to this crap where everything is wrong. Everything is wrong. You come home, the hose is broken. The sweep under the door, that that plastic vinyl strip, that needs to be replaced. And nothing is easy nowadays. Nothing is easy easy. I'll tell you that much. Lots to report. Also, I have an interview with Tara Palmieri. She's a investigative reporter. She's, I saw a documentary she was in. I watched it on, what is it? HBO Max now. And I reached out to her on Instagram. I said, please come on my, my podcast. What is this a podcast and talk about it. And she did. So I'm going to play that for you in a few minutes. But first, when I was flying out for vacation, the guy next to me on the plane, and I love watching what people watch in the plane. I love watching people. One of my favorite things to do is to go out in public and watch people. And most of the time, it's just people on their phones. And nobody even looks up from the phone. I just I, I just look around, look at everybody's like glued to their phones. Nobody's even looking up. Nobody's even checking to see if maybe a ninja is doing flips and is about to overtake them. It's bad. It's bad, but I like to walk up and down the plane aisles and see who's watching which news station. Who's, what, what, what side of the aisle are you on? Well, the guy next to me on the plane was watching a stand-up comedian. And I thought, this is, this is going to be torture. This is going to be a long flight. And I, I hope the person's like me, watches two minutes and, uh, of the, 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 the uh, comedy special, and says, this sucks, and dials out. This guy watched the whole thing. And here's what I think was so intriguing. Guy didn't laugh once. Not once. And I wanted to look at him and say, aren't you supposed to laugh watching stand-up comedy? Because afterwards, he switched to the office. That guy was belly laughing. But why did he stick with this special for so long if it sucked? Why are people watching sucky, sucky, sucky stand up comedy? That's what I want to know. Here we go. Episode 90 What's Wrong with Orny Adams? This is The Fold. These guys are in Chicago. A couple of brothers did this theme for for me. Oh, I want to ask my buddy, the guitar player. He's got crazy hair. He's got got great big eyes. I just had to switch around the whole studio because... What's his name,
1: Dan? Well, his name is
0: You got it, Dan. Bringing this down. I, I just switched around the entire podcast studio because I had a uh, guest. I did a remote interview of Tara Palmieri, who has a new podcast out. New podcast. Somebody's Gotta Win podcast. Which indicates to me that uh, she's not thrilled, or the world's not thrilled with the two choices that we have for this next presidential election. I'm talking about American politics. Yeah, what's wrong with the Winnie Adams? What's wrong with the Winnie Adams is his hose doesn't work. They used to make hoses that lasted 10 years. Now they last about 18 months. They start leaking at the nozzle. I don't think I ever had a nozzle leak hose when I was growing up. Seems like that's something new. And then... The hose develops holes along the way and starts squirting like it's a sprinkler. Like I'm gonna put it down on the lawn and let the kids run amok. So now I gotta buy a new hose. Have you have you looked at the selection of hoses? There's hundreds, hundreds of hoses that all look the same online. They all have different prices, different names. Used to just be like one hose. I'm sound like an old guy. Used to just be one hose. Now we're getting hosed by the hose people. And then, then there's too many choices what happens is you make bad decisions because you're overwhelmed by the choices. There's too many choices except in our politics. And uh, that's the theme of this, this uh, podcast episode 90. We sort of get into politics and I know this is not a political podcast. So it's interesting. And I, I hope you enjoy my conversation that will be coming up in a few minutes. (sighs) I've got a lot to do around the house. I know it's labor day but I've got two walls that need to be painted. I've got a roof. I've got a patch because uh, not going to say there's global warming out there, but there seems to be a lot more rain all of a sudden in Los Angeles. And now we have uh, moderate rain uh, tolerant roofs. I've, I've got to proof my, I now have to have a roof. I call a guy over and go, hey, whatever roofs they have in Florida, I need that for my house now. That's where we're at for the, this climate change. I'm going to play an interview in a few minutes. Saw this doctor, documentary called Dr. Delirium and the Edgewood Experiments. And I, I what was fascinating to me, not that our government's doing experiments on our soldiers. Of course, they have no... Res, it doesn't surprise me that they don't have respect for our soldiers. But it was that within the project, there was project paperclip, which brought over 1600. This is during the cold war, just to give you what period it is. Uh, German nationalists, many of them happen to be ex Nazis. And in the documentary, there was this doctor who conducted the experiments, Dr. Ketchum, and they have a videotape of him that had never been seen before. He's since passed away, but it's really creepy to hear this guy talk and to justify bringing the Nazis over. Oh, they weren't, they weren't real. They weren't real Nazis. Some of them were Hitler's favorite Nazis, favorite doctors doing these experiments, which they did on Jewish people and other people, of course. And this guy said, oh, they were just following orders. That old, that old trope. Nah, they were just following orders. So I found this documentary disturbing. And I I said, you know what? I'm the last guy. What's going on with my hair? I'm the last guy to believe in conspiracy theories. I just, I in general think people are good. Good natured. You know, do the right thing like I would. Not rip people off. Not be motivated solely by money. But I'm starting to think maybe I'm naive. Maybe I am. Maybe I need to start questioning more. Well, I, I, and I do. I do. Like, I don't want you to think I'm stupid. But. When you watch this documentary. Documentary which I grew up hearing about these experiments in the LSD, and I got it, but I didn't know we were bringing Nazis over to help us and teach us how... Hey, why don't you show us how you were... Show us that uh, that good old fun you did in the concentration camps. Help us out. It, it makes you think about everything. This Ukraine war, and can we do more, and why we don't do more. And this expression... Follow the money, which I think came from that movie, Chinatown. It is so true. I just can't believe I'm part of this species, this human species. I really, I really can't. I, I, I really can't. The older I get. God bless the youth. If you're a young person listening to this podcast, enjoy your naivete. Enjoy being stupid. I want to go back to being stupid and not questioning everything. Well, I went on vacation. Here's the good news. It was raining most of the time, so I didn't have to worry about taking my shirt off. That's the good news. That's something right that happened. But this world's impossible. It really is. The day I flew home, I got a potbelly sub in the Detroit airport. I love potbelly. It's a Chicago outfit, I believe. Great subs. This thing sucked. It sucked. Because nobody cares anymore. There's no quality control. It's not just one store in Chicago anymore. It's now franchised. And it's a bunch of people that don't care, including whoever made the sub. Just, it was, uh, I took a picture. It just looked like mush. Looked like soup. I'm going to throw up thinking about it. I'll put the picture up. It looked like soup. Looked like a soup sandwich. So I barely ate it. I ate enough that I wasn't upset that I spent the money on it. Because, you know, in the airport, you're paying 300% of what you should pay for that sub. And then I get home and I go to Baja Fresh. I see one on the way home. I go, I'm going to go to Baja Fresh. I'm going to get a chicken salad so I feel healthy. So I get it to go, get a soup, tip them. And then I get home and the chicken looks a lot like shrimp. And I call him up and I paid cash. You pay cash. You can't get credit. So like, why don't you come in? We'll make you another one. I'm like, why don't you deliver me one? No, we don't. We can't deliver. But if you want to come in with it. I to get in the car after driving an hour to the airport on vacation, getting on a plane, transferring to another plane, getting my car, driving home. I just want to be home with my chicken salad, but I can't. You know Why? Because they put shrimp. How the did shrimp end up in a chicken salad? Why? Because everyone's overwhelmed. Because I suspect that the person making it was on their phone or didn't care. There's zero repercussion. Nobody cares that I got the wrong salad. Baja Fresh doesn't care. I came in. They didn't even give me a free cookie. Give me a free! You screw up my salad and give me shrimp instead of chicken, and I got to come back. I want a, I want a free cookie. I want something. What's wrong with Orny Adams? Episode ninety. We did it. We're at ninety. We did it, and I want to thank everybody for listening. I want to thank everybody that's sharing my content, rating it, passing it on the people who subscribe on my Patreon. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And you know, if you want to keep in touch with me, you just email me at what's wrong at OrnyAdams.com. And I've gotten some emails. And a lot. I got to be honest with you, a lot of your concerns, they don't... I got one the other day about uh, somebody said, I don't want to throw the person under the bus, but uh, send better emails. That's what I'm saying. Right now, I want to play for you my interview that I just did a few minutes ago with investigative journalist and former White House correspondent. She's currently a senior political correspondent at Puck News. She's the host of Somebody's Gotta Win podcast, which is on the Ringer Network and uh, featured basically as a narrator in the Dr. Delirium and the Edgewood Experiments uh, documentary, which I saw on HBO Max. Please welcome my guest, Tara Palmieri.
1: Thanks so much for having me on.
0: I appreciate it. Thanks. What? First of all, happy birthday.
1: Oh, thanks. I, They're I always uh, a little less happy with every year, but still good to make it. Right? It's uh, like you finish uh, the lap. One yeah. more year.
0: Yeah, I I like getting older. Believe it or not,
1: you do. Yeah. Yeah, men I don't are like, getting older, I think. Women, not
0: so much. But you learn so much more about yourself. You understand the world better. I think it's just cooler. Don't you look at the young people and go, look at these idiots.
1: Totally. You're right. Yeah. You're you're absolutely right that we, you grow into yourself. You get to know yourself better. You're a little bit more comfortable. You don't need to sort of substitute with the thrills just to get by in life. Yeah. You can chill as you get yeah. older. Yeah,
0: celebrate getting yourself. older. Yeah, the next 10 years are going to be fun. Trust me. Okay, cool. Trust me. I'm
1: trusting you on that. I'm going to check in with you in 10 years and be like, hey, was it fun or was it, you know,
0: a little fun? I'm saying the next 10 years for you. The next 10 years for me, I'm done. It's over for me. (laughs) You're cooked. You're out. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I'm saying for you and I'm rooting for you for the next 10 years. What's going on, uh, Tara? What's going on in Washington?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, right now it's kind of slow because it's basically Labor Day weekend and they've been out of Congress for about a month. And all the fixation right now is on the campaign trail, which is what I've been covering in the Somebody's Gotta Win podcast. And I think you could get from the tone of the name, Somebody's Gotta Win, that there's sort of a lack of excitement around the country. And Washington is really catching on to that. Um, All of these polls that show that no one wants Trump or Biden to run against each other in 2024. They're like, it's kind of like this doomsday scenario. You see another poll saying 77% of Americans think Joe Biden is too old to serve another term. And 68% of those respondents are Democrats. Like, whoa, the lights are flashing on the dashboard. Warning, warning. Perhaps like Democrats aren't really taking Biden's electability seriously enough. And obviously, Trump has a myriad of electability issues, but yet, you know, primary voters freaking love him. Like there's no other way to say it. And none of these other guys have shown that they've got any metal to take him on. If anything, the guy who's surging the most, Vivek Ramaswamy, is just playing a mini-me version of him. Mm. And he's the one who's getting the most attention. And it's like- We're in this weird, weird, weird stasis. I'm like, we're in the weird end of the pool right now where Republicans could pick another person to take on Trump and like they could pick another nominee, but they can't because like the party wants Trump. And so, um, and again, Democrats could have a primary right now. Like the president could say, I'm about to be 81 years old. It might be better for the country if we had a real like choice.
0: Yeah, like is it selfish of Biden to run
1: it's selfish of both of them to run. And like, this gets down to like the core issue, I think, in politics right now is that it really is a game played by men who believe they have a divine right to power. Right. And I mean, women too, but I don't think, and not to play gender games right now, but I don't think women have that same like divine right to power. In fact, a lot a of us. Wait a minute.
0: What about uh, the, the Supreme Court Justice, RGB, that stuck around? really long. And then because oh, of that, yeah. you the entire that same-
1: court. Oh, Dianne Feinstein. She's mm-hmm. like barely, you know, able to w- work, move, yeah. travel. She's, you know, and she's a democratic senator. Sure. Right. But I don't know, maybe this is a gender, like it's, it's a trope, but I do feel like it takes, maybe it takes a little, little longer for women to step into their power, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. but maybe once you're in it, you realize the perks, you like the trappings, you like your life, you can't get out of it and even mitch mcconnell like he's 81 years old the guy's been freezing up on um in press conferences and this person is supposed to represent the power of the republican party in washington like he should be their strongest leader and yet like he's not mentally he's not mentally but he's not clearly physically well right and everybody's just like staying in line like every no one is willing to buck the party on both sides democrats and republicans like Where's AOC right now trying to challenge Biden? Where's Gavin Newsom? Where's J.B. Pritzker? And where are the young guns in the Republican Party trying to challenge Mitch McConnell? They're not. Well, or, you know, it's just like everybody's just following in line. And maybe it's like, maybe it's our generation. Like maybe the millennials are a bunch of losers.
0: They well, won't step up. What? You know? How scared? This is what I really want to know, because this is not a political okay. podcast at all. In fact, I never even reveal my affiliations. I don't talk politics. When I go on political-leaning podcasts, I sort of play the middle. I challenge you both sides. You asked me
1: to be on your show, though, so yeah, I have I- to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I-
0: I asked you because I'm really curious about this documentary and really curious about the use of the government and and Nazis. But before we get into that and leads me all to how much can we trust our government overall and institutions? I I do want to know how scared I'm an outsider and I'm very naive. So when I watch like this documentary, the Dr. Delirium, I I think, is this possible? Like, am am I this stupid? Like when people talk, about COVID and conspiracy theories. I I brush a lot of them off, but maybe there's some validity to it. So as somebody who's on the outside, blissfully unaware, should I be scared?
1: Well, I mean, I don't have necessarily evidence of human testing going on, but I'm sure they're doing uh, biochemical medical testing right now in our country. Absolutely. Like we have to assume our Threats, our competitors, China, Russia, that they're also doing testing to advance their warfare. And that's, you know, making superhumans, that's super viruses, that's super chemicals, that's super ways to, you know, to destroy us. And at the time during the Cold War, which is what um, the Dr. Delirium podcast goes back to, um, they were absolutely trying to have the greatest advances in technology in warfare technology and at the time they thought hey maybe these very strong potent lsd chemicals uh, not, not lsd but like these very strong hallucinations like hallucinatory chemicals could be used as warfare um right. and i'm not so- talking about lsd it wasn't like a fun trip this is this is like bz this is BZ, kind of, right 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 this is a kind of um chemical that you wouldn't even take like you wouldn't take this as a street drug to enjoy yourself This is like a trip to end your brain. And, you know, we found classified documents, classified videos of these tests um, of these young vets, these servicemen between the 1950s and 1970s that were just being used as human guinea pigs at this Edgewood arsenal right outside of Maryland, like right outside of the nation's capital. And Mm, they were
0: more than than 7000 soldiers, right? Underwent testing.
1: and yes, and the thing is that they're still alive and they're still suffering from it. And they had to sign these non-disclosure agreements, like these top-secret um, agreements, to never speak about the testing that they went through. So it's all sort of like bubbling up now. And they just right. want their VA benefits. And thankfully, thanks to the, the the show, they're they are hearing from the government now. They're starting to see their benefits. And um, it was right. a so. Really- so let me
0: let me explain what I think. What what is happening yeah. is the government forces them to sign uh, like an NDA uh, that they can't disclose. Yeah, that they've been through these experiments and now they're suffering and or they've been suffering ever since. They've been having flashbacks or whatever it is, and they can't apply for benefits because they can't tell the doctors, hey, I was involved in this experiment. So it's sort of a double edged sword.
1: Exactly. And I think like at, at some point they realized, okay, we don't need to abide by this top secret classified code because these were classified experiments. So by way of them being classified, you would be breaking your oath of duty. You could be prosecuted talking about being involved in a classified experiment. But these kids were like 19, 20, 21 years old. Some One of them left um, the experiments, killed himself, killed his well, killed his wife, then killed himself. There were so many Really terrible repercussions. some of these men told me in their 60s 70s they would be waking up in the middle of the night with nightmares from these experiments they'd ha- they'd be going there for a month and just being trapped in a funhouse, literally padded rooms being tested on it wearing gas masks like the kinds of things you would see Nazi doctor uh, see the Nazis use when they were doing their medical testing and actually a lot of the doctors that were brought into edgewood um into the the, the into this chemical testing facility, they were German Nazi doctors, because at the time we wanted them, we fought for them through this program called Project Paperclip. The paperclip is what you would put the visa next to on the application, because we believe they were the best scientists and engineers in the world. And we didn't want the Russians to get them when right. in our Cold War with USSR. So we thought, oh, let's take them and bring them to America and have them do you run chemical trials? This and is amazing. This is,
0: the, yeah. When I saw this, this is when I reached out to you on Instagram and I said, please come on my podcast and talk about this. Because this to me made me think, this is disgusting. So in a secret directive circulated on September 3rd, 1946, President Truman officially approved Operation Paperclip and expanded it to include 1,000 German scientists under temporary limited military custody. And they brought these people over... These scientists that were Nazis and they worked with this Dr. Ketchum in this project and Dr. Ketchum, what's wrong with this guy? I know he's dead, but he's, he sat there and he's dismissive and he used that trope that these weren't Nazis. I mean, they were just doing what they were told.
1: Right. Weren't they all just doing what they were told? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Catch him! I think he had like God syndrome, like a lot of doctors do. Um, He thought that he was playing the role of God, and I think he he did that with these with these young servicemen, and he just looked at their brains as if they were putty. These these guys were just guinea pigs, and it's uh, he believed he was doing it. So everyone sort of that does. I think in life, people who do bad things they believe they're doing it for a greater good, unless Mm -hmm. they're truly sinister and horrible. And I think he thought that. I mean, he pushed for more funding for this program. He pushed for, um, he tried to get the CIA involved because they were also doing similar programs using LSD and, um, and other hallucinatory drugs, but to get information out of our enemies, right? That's how what they were doing. They were like, oh, if we can slip LSD into people, uh, maybe they'll tell us their secrets when they're loosened up. Um, our adversaries, uh, they would use, spies would use this. Um, but I think Ketchum believed, okay, this is the next phase of warfare, and if we're behind, then the United States is vulnerable because yeah. the Russians are definitely doing it if, right if so we're that not was doing it
0: yeah, that was the excuse was get these scientists before the Russians get these German scientists and totally. it seems and to- yeah it seems altruistic right We're, we're, we're going to inca- incapacitate and cause the enemy to have delirium but not kill mm-hmm. them so it sounds good, but to bring these not na- I would have brought the Nazis over Tara. and you know what I would have done the experiments on them.
1: Right. Use then, them. Exactly. Use them, Yeah. But no, no, it's really terrible. Um, you know, I also have like a personal connection to this, this, um, this whole sort of m- moment in time. Cause my, uh, grandmother, my Babsha, she was in a camp in Hamburg where they did a lot of testing on her. Nazi doctors used her as a child and they kept, injecting her with vaccines there. And when oh. she left the camps, she was covered in um, like spots and everything from all of the drugs that they tra- tested on them. Like we forget that Bayer drugs, so many of the advancements in drug um, and and in these pharmaceuticals and drugs were done at the, at the Nazi camps uh, using. Yeah. Is, is she using, still alive? Is your grandmother still she alive? She is. Yeah, she's in her eighties. I mean, she was a child, but that's what they were doing. I mean, they were using the kids in the camps to test out drugs and to make medical advancements and it's a horrific horrific period of time and to think that like after the nuremberg trials that they would take some of these nazi you know perpetrators and bring them to america yeah. and you know and do these and do more top secret testing yeah i mean there are a lot of ethical questions around human testing right we do it now to this day we have to there's no way mm. to like make me- you know, experimental and medical advancements, and we do it for the greater good, right?
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: um, you know, it's there, there are a lot of ethical red lines, and I think yeah. they're crossed a lot. And people justify it. Um, and you know, even with COVID, creating this super virus, think of what what happened when you make one mistake during these testings; it leaks out and it kills millions of people.
0: So you do believe uh. that COVID was leaked from a lab in, in Wuhan?
1: I thought that was pretty much confirmed at this point.
0: Yeah. That I don't, it didn't I, come
1: from a, yeah. From a wet market that that or. Pretty, she, yeah.
0: She's, that she's I, was, I was pretty or, sure it was confirmed yeah. that they,
1: that, that they were making a coronavirus in this lab that where the, 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 or where, you know, the virus originated from. Yeah.
0: I, I asked um, about your, I asked about your grandmother because one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in my lifetime is the tattoo is the, the prisoner tattoo that, mm-hmm. um, you know, the the people in Auschwitz and other camps had. And I I feel bad that the next generation will not be able to see that firsthand.
1: She didn't she doesn't have a tattoo. She um because, no, because they're Polish and they were not Jewish. They were they just t- moved they were oh, okay. they called them war camps or family camps, but okay. they lived in a camp in Hamburg. Like I went to okay. Auschwitz once and I was showing her pictures of it and she's like, Yeah, they all look the same. Um, Did- but she told me the Jews, they lined them up and they killed them. And the Amer- and um the Poles and and you know, other people from Eastern Europe, they used them in um in the camps to build artillery bombs. The children yeah. were the children they were used to to make medical advancements, um, but they still were enslaved people. They just they didn't have that. Um they weren't yeah. they weren't killed, they weren't treated and, the same way. I- That the Jews were.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Hmm.
1: It's still horrific.
0: It's it's all horrific. It's all Mm -hmm. so much to even process. Mm -hmm. And in the documentary, you did mention the connection with your grandmother, but they didn't Mm -hmm. really go into it. Did they ever consider maybe bringing her in as part of the documentary?
1: You know, I thought about it. I still want to talk to her. I want to sit down with her and have a real conversation about, you know, what it was like, but... Every time I ever speak to her she she gets really really emotional. She says like when they were liberated from the camp they didn't know if it was the Russians or the Americans. They were just running and running and um into the woods. It was just like it's hard. I mean to yeah. sit down with a survivor of that, and that kind of of that kind of trauma at, so late in her life. I mean she's in her 80s now. I feel like I'm re-traumatizing her. And there's a part of me that wants to protect her because she's my family. Of course. You know what I mean? So yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Um as a journalist, like I want to know more, but I've seen even interviewing these test vets um, from Edgewood, they want their story out there. They want their benefits. They want the truth to be told about the the darkness of government and what it can do. And they want to make sure it never happens again. They want to make sure people aren't taken advantage of, especially our youngest, our brightest, our most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know in her heart, she wants to make sure that nothing like, world, like the atrocities of World War II ever happen again but you also have to think about like what you're bringing up. You know, you're really un- you're really digging up some dark stuff that people have to live with for the rest of their life. And yeah. I don't know, my, my journalism hat
0: is <laughs> not
1: able to overcome my desire to protect my family.
0: I, I get it. I, I get it. Yeah. And when you bring up, could this happen again? I grew up thinking this would never happen again. And I I, I was told, you know, why didn't the Americans bomb the railroad tracks going into these camps and prevent this? And you sort of like now living with what's going on in uh, the Ukraine and all these cover ups. I can see how it could happen again. I really sadly, I I really do. And that's what's happening right
1: now. There's there's genocide happening all over the world. Um, Sudan, um, the Uyghurs. Uh, what's going on in Ukraine is just horrific. What's happening to young women and children. Um, it's just, I mean, the, it, it, there is so much human atrocity and like all we can kind of do is like is shed a light on it and hope we don't become sheep and people just start following the government and just becoming so scared of their own safety that they think that they well, should, you know. Well, I think the exact opposite
0: people. is happening. I've never seen such distrust In my life of institutions, whether it's the CDC or of the government, like what, what is going on? Is there a Biden crime family? I know you cover things like Jeffrey Epstein. You had a podcast covering that you're covering a lot of really what I would say, uh, dangerous topics because you're getting into things that could be threatening to powerful people. Do you fear for your life when you do these investigative reports?
1: You know, it's interesting. When I was traveling around with Virginia Giuffre covering the Epstein trial, I mean, we went to the houses of people um, who witnessed the crimes, right? We went to uh, the butler's house. We went to the pilot's house. We went to the chef's you know restaurant. And when we were at the, the, the butler's house talking to him, I remember that her phone just like exploded. Like it just, it turned all black. And then while we were there, the police showed up at his door. And it just felt like we were being tracked. Wow. And I'm not trying to be conspiratorial, but maybe when Virginia came, came into the country, she she was like being like- Who is pinged? who is
0: Virginia? I don't even know who this person Virginia is. Virginia Roberts.
1: She's the one who sued uh, Prince Andrew. Okay. The one who claimed that Prince Andrew assaulted right. her. She's one of the first women to really come up and talk about Jeffrey Epstein. I was like, are we being followed? Because Virginia has so many secrets and has so many things- you know, to um, she she knows so much about the most powerful people in the world and right. the kind of crimes they committed against young children. It, it crossed my mind. Maybe you, even when you're covering this stuff, you can fall into perhaps conspiratorial land. But the truth is, like really bad things happen. People have gotten away with terrible things. Tend, they tend to have power and they tend yeah. to have money. And I am gravitated towards peeling back the you know. Peeling back the curtain on these stories, like you gotta do it or else unchecked power is dangerous and people can get away with things and they can start thinking that people without power are just little chips that can be moved around and treated terribly. And the Epstein story really highlighted the the abuses and his powerful friends from Bill Gates to um, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton,
0: a lot of bills. Donald
1: Trump, yeah. It's like- uh, Yeah, you
0: look at those plain manifests of people who went to what they call pedophile island and yeah. I, I think, you know, there's... Th- these people have a lot to lose. Like, do you think Epstein committed suicide or do you think he was killed?
1: Oh, I think he was absolutely killed. Um, you know, he uh, absolutely, absolutely was killed. Who um, killed him? And <laughs> so I don't know if you saw that 60 Minutes... Um, sorry. I used that 60 Minutes documentary. Um, and I think... They were talking about this this cop, like whoever killed him inside. It was an inside job. Like anyone's, like oh Hillary Clinton crawled through and and you know killed him in his sleep, whatever. Like no, it was an inside job. Whoever was in there who killed him was mm-hmm. probably paid off by you know some powerful person that knows that Epstein had a secret on him, and either you know their family's being paid off somewhere, they're um getting hit a lighter sentence. I don't know, but. There, it seemed to be coordinated inside the jail. The fact that the, the, the cameras were off, the guards weren't looking, the guy was just killed. I don't know. It does not test my smell test. Now, do I have any proof? No, but like, right. it's all, I just, the note that he wrote, like, you know, no fun in big letters. He seemed to think he could win on appeal. He had already gotten away with it before. Yeah. Um, you know, I just think that he definitely did not, see himself as someone who was going to be prosecuted. Why would he? He had gotten a sweetheart deal last time.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, he was very arrogant. Do yeah, and he arrogant, was arrogant people and he tend not to problem. kill themselves. Yeah.
1: Right. And I think there are ways to get rid of people, um, and it's by way of, you know, paying off someone inside the prison. And also pedophiles don't do well in jail. It's a known fact. They don't last. Right. Um but Could he, could someone in prison their family be paid off? Could they, you know, maybe have a shorter sentence? Probably. I think it's interesting. I know that when I did the podcast with um, the victims of Jeffrey Epstein, you know, a lot of them are really disheartened that it took so long to put together a case against Ghislaine Maxwell. And they used a lot of the, um, they used a lot of the witnesses that I use in my podcast for the trial and that ultimately convicted her. But now they're sort of like, but what about the guys? Right. You know what I mean? Like there were so many more people involved. This was probably one of the biggest sex trafficking operations in the world. And they're just like, why are we still, why, why has it only been Ghislaine Maxwell who's been, um, what is her, yeah. What, what is
0: her, what is her deal? Is she part victim? Was she, you know, so oh, of- if you ask
1: her, she's a victim. Yes. But, um, you know, yes. If you ask her, she's a victim.
0: And but she's in jail right now, right? She's doing like 20 years. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. Oh, she should have never fallen in love with Jeffrey Epstein. She's suffering for the crime of being his friend and yada, yada, yada. But I like every woman I've spoken to said that she was deeply involved. She was a part of the recruiting. I mean, yeah. she came from a pretty messed up family herself, the Maxwell family. I did a, a docu- uh, podcast on them, uh, Power the Maxwells, about her father and how she had these daddy issues and just about what Robert Maxwell was and what he represented. And he was like a very mysterious Jeffrey Epstein-like character who owned media in the UK right. and in the right. US. He owned the New York Daily News. He was basically a rival to Rupert Murdoch until he mysteriously fell off a boat. I know. Um, yeah, they thought he was a spy. He was burning through the pension funds of the um, of all of the media assets that he owned. Mm. It was just a mess. Um, so... I think yeah, there was definitely a. There, there are a lot of similarities between the stories. A lot of answers. I mean, a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. Yeah. So I think that definitely that that there are there are a lot of comparisons there.
0: How do uh, these stories? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? No, go ahead. Finish. I, I was.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I just think there's a lot. There was a lot in common, and there's a and you know, there's a belief that her father introduced her to Jeffrey Epstein. And he may have, you know, gotten some of his money and funneled it to Ghislaine because he wrote her a check for $20 million. Like, who does that? No one does
0: that. Yeah.
1: There was some sort of, you know, funneling between the two
0: how do you keep track of all this stuff? How do you, how do you, how do these stories come to you? How do you not get so discouraged? Like how did the delirium, how did that, that documentary come to you? Was that something you were investigating or you were doing a podcast and then it turned into a documentary? Well, that one's interesting. So that one was through um,
1: uh, 0.0. They're a great documentary house. Um, They do the Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown, Nick Brigden. Mm. Is the director? He's an amazing filmmaker, and you know he heard the the uh, you know the podcast broken, and he liked the tone of it, and he saw and he you know saw my real interest in like advocating for victims and trying to get down to the truth of the story, but never forgetting what it's really about. It's about the victims, um, and he he thought it was a good fit, so he brought me in. He had been working on this for a while. It was based on a on a court case against the government. Of these, um, of these test vets, and they tied in the CIA. It wasn't; they weren't just going after the Department of Defense for their VA benefits. They also tied in the CIA because they believed the CIA was also using them um, to experiment and to try to understand like the effects of these of these dangerous chemicals on their brains and what they could yeah. do to their enemies. And they used you know, their- yeah.
0: And it's heartbreaking in the documentary, which I've watched now twice. And I found it more disturbing to watch the second time after I'd done some research. Uh, You see these vets with their Vietnam, you know, vet hats and they're just suffering. They can't get answers. It's they can't get the money. They can't get what they deserve. And it goes back to like, we've always sort of brought these young men and women back from war and haven't done what we haven't protected them. It's like, thank well, you so then, for your service. Now you're on your own.
1: Right, exactly. And I think the reason is that the government is embarrassed by what they did to them. So by honoring them and giving them like, the credit and like, the thanks that they deserve, they're acknowledging that what they did was not moral and crossed ethical boundaries. And so they're kind of stuck with the wreckage. Like, okay, we were just tossed aside. And and the other thing that's really powerful about the documentary is that it's all classified um, video. You're actually watching the the, the change. And I think it's interesting what one of the test vets, we get to watch him having a psychedelic, having a psychiatric breakdown because of a psychedelic. And he's there and he's like, that's me. Like, that's, wow, that's me at 20 years old. And he's, and he's sobbing.
0: Yeah, sobbing I, 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 as
1: a as a 70 80-year-old man. Just they were all sobbing.
0: Um how did you come a, get how did you get all that footage? How did you get the Dr. Ketchum uh deposition? Um
1: because in the documentary it says court. we've n- it's never. That was been a part of the court before. documents. Yeah, that was part of part of the car, court documents. But the interview with Ketchum, which is really telling, um it was a Nick was Nick Brigden. He went and interviewed Ketchum and it, it was an incredible interview uh, trying to get him to confess like, okay, maybe I didn't have the purest intentions. Maybe this wasn't good. Maybe I didn't consider the impact on the test vets. So um, he, he did some amazing work. I'm just lucky to have been brought in to be able to interview the test vets, to be able to get involved in the research and discovery and to put the pieces together on how P- Project Paperclip and the CIA were involved in these experiments because um, mm-hmm. those are, you know, internationally known, just like disgusting uh, programs that, you know, the victims have had to have have been have been have been What's, you know compensated and and, and yes. acknowledged for. But this one is sort of a quieter one because it was only seven thousand vets, right? It's not quite as many,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and not to diminish it, but they just haven't had their due. And I think it's time. And it seems to be that it's happening.
0: Okay, good. And and um, there were a lot more, they're having, aren't they having trouble contacting some of these vets, the 7,000? Is that, that came up in the yeah, documentary? I mean, a lot of them
1: have died. I mean, yeah. they're older men. They're hard to yeah. contact. They changed addresses. Although once the documentary came out, a lot of them have reached out to me as well. And that's sort of the thing with these documentaries and stories and reporting is like you put information out there and then more people come forward. Right. That's sort of how it works. You kind of have to start moving and then you get, and then you start to um,
0: you start to hear back from people and you start to. And did the government think they were going to get away with bringing Nazis over and using their knowledge and having them be, be part of experimenting on our soldiers. We brought Nazis over to experiment on our soldiers That blows my mind.
1: I think they would have liked to get away with it, right? Mm -hmm. That's sort of how it works. I mean, again, we don't know everything that's going on right now. There's top secret classified testing that's happening every single day. We can only really hope that it's ethical. Um, And, you know, that's why we have whistleblowers that we hope will, you know, speak up and say, like, Mayday, we're Repeating history again. Right. This is a horrible thing that's happening. And you know, I I with you know, with all of these advancements in technology, like, yeah, we're always trying to catch up. We don't want China to have more than us. We don't have Russia. And then everyone gets nervous that you know the fear factor, they build it up among citizens. Anything it takes to defeat our adversaries, you know, our security is at risk. And that's how you end up making these decisions where the lives of a few people are damaged for you know the greater good greater security i mean it's sort of like what happened after 9-11 with intense security i mean the the intense surveillance of muslim americans um you know guantanamo bay the waterboarding that happened there a lot of people are it's a, a sustain on our um on our national identity in a lot of ways. I mean, you saw it during world war II with the internment camps where we, we put Asian American people believing that they were all spies. It's sort of, this is, we, we've pushed these limits as a country in terms of national, for national security. And it's, it's, I think it will always happen and it will always come up throughout time, but we have to be more critical and more suspicious and not just take the government line. Like, Especially the Department of Defense, the Pentagon. We just sort of go along with everything they say. They put out a statement, and we're like, okay, right. I mean, even now that these cluster bombs have been given to Ukraine, like, what kind of damage are they going to do to the to the people on the ground there? A cluster mm. bomb goes off; a kid steps on it. I mean, yeah. it's like a landmine. Mind, we don't we don't know what kind of damage yeah. can happen. There's so many risks that happen with war, and um, we definitely need to have information that's solid. And factual on the ground. And I think right now there's just so much confusion because of disinformation everywhere on the internet. Um, it's people scary. Look like- and
0: I want to, I want to ask you that. I know you have to get going because you have your own podcast to do in a couple of minutes. My yeah. guest is Tara Palmieri. She has a new podcast. Somebody's got to win podcast. It's all about what's going on in the election right now. We'll close talking about that in a second, but I've, I've one final question as a journalist, don't you feel, and I'm not saying you, but as a group responsible for what's going on right now with the the disinformation, the 24 hour news cycle, it's nonstop. It's nonstop. What responsibility should journalists take for the divisive world we live in? Um, and who's doing dishes budget. over there?
1: I mean, listen, I don't run a news network, right? Um, I have a column at Puck. Um, I've got a show on Somebody's Got to Win, which I can talk about. Whatever I want to talk about, pretty much. So I have a lot of freedom, which is amazing. But, um, you know, the decision to run uh, coverage of Trump turning himself in like it's a car chase for days. That's like that's the news directors. That's the, you know, media giants deciding what is news And what isn't? Um, I think we have to pay attention to Donald Trump. People blame the media for everything false, uh, for too much equivocating between Joe Biden and Trump, between the crimes and this and that. I'm not saying that Joe Biden committed any crimes by any means. I think it's something we're all sort of figuring out. Like a lot of journalists were blamed for not for going along with the administration before entering Iraq and Afghanistan and for not questioning that decision. There were a lot of journalists who did question that decision. But as a group, we're all sort of clustered together, right? Um, So it's hard. And when you're an independent journalist and you're trying to speak out, you can speak out. It doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be heard, right? Um, I like to zig when everyone else is zagging. Mm -hmm. I think if the group is going this way, you probably need to go that way because there's a lot of money and a lot of people pulling the group in that direction. Right. And the real answers are probably over here mm. um, where nobody is dragging you, where no one is pulling you, where it's really the people talking.
0: Do you create um, a lot of enemies with that philosophy? Yeah.
1: Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah. it makes your job harder. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you want to like get the scoops all the time from the administration, you got to like cozy up to the administration, but that also means it's difficult to, um, to, to, to pull your, like, it's difficult to pull your punches. You know, it's difficult yeah. to, to really drop big stories because then all of your access is depleted. Right. right. Yeah. And I'm, your bosses so- want you to have access. They want the big interviews. They want the mm-hmm. big scoops. You know, the big anchors want the sit downs with Joe Biden or Donald Trump or this right. and that. And you're not going to get that. If you just report it's, it's, yeah. it's really hard and there's just not a lot of money out there for independent journalists. So it's sort of this tap dance and, it's, conti- it's going to continue to cause a lot of, you know, a lot of resentment against the media. But, you know, as long as there's support for independent journalists and independent journalism, like, I think that we can tell the real stories mm-hmm. and just have honest conversations.
0: It's your messy. Bio, your bio at Puck News is, it's Puck, right? Puck News? Yep. Puck. Right? yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Washington's most feared and fearless uh a politics reporter covering what people are really talking about inside the white house on the hill on k street and within the media companies who cover it all um so tell me about your podcast and what you're going to talk about today and i do appreciate you coming on especially on your birthday and, and taking time uh, to tell me what's going on because I, I like i said what i think it's really fascinating about the world is you can watch a documentary now reach out to somebody on instagram and then have a, a conversation i think it's that, I think, is really cool. The other parts of the internet, I can't stand. I can't stand the disinformation. I can't stand so much information. You know, I've got uh, a, a a palm. I've been talking about on my podcast now for weeks. I've got Sago palm, which is which are sick. I've got two of them. And I have this other palm. I don't even know what it's called, but the gardener says it's worth hundreds of dollars. And it's sick. And so there are two different kinds of sprays you can use. And everything I've read on the two different sprays completely contradict the information from one website to another, I can't even get a straight answer. Should I use neem oil or copper spray? And so yeah. if we can't get that straight, we're screwed in this lifetime.
1: Oh yeah, we have, there's no hope. If, if you can't figure that out, I, I've i given up. Um, You know, it's hard. You gotta like trust your sources of information. I also think like being an independent journalist also means like believing in your own brand as a journalist and putting out stories. So it's like, if, you, if you're if you like, oh, well, Tara Palmieri is reporting this and I trust her, then like, you can, you know, kind of seeing yourself as, as the source and no matter who you're working for, being true to what you do. Like I've worked for very big journalism companies. I've broken stories and they've taken six or seven months and a lot of pushing to get the bosses to do it because it would right. hurt relationships, sources. Other colleagues I've worked for would be pissed at me for doing it because it would hurt their relationship with the administration. And I pushed and I pushed and I pushed and some of them are playing out right now. You know what I mean? In the and, and it just it takes time and it takes perseverance. And I wish it was easier.
0: Um, the politics like, of journalism.
1: The politics of journalism is tough. Now, my show, somebody's got to win, and my column, yeah, I I'm not a I'm not afraid to talk about the uncomfortable stuff. Um, it might be a bit processy for some people, but the process is kind of how this like how the sausage is made is what you get at the end, right. um, and. I think it's, like, the more you know about how the the sausage is made and the inside conversation, like, the more you'll be ready when you read something in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal a few weeks later. That's the exact same thing I was talking about. Like, this is what everyone's talking about. These are the fears. These are the concerns. This is the inside story. Um, And so that's what I'm trying to give my listeners an like an ability to eavesdrop into what it's like to be in Washington, DC and listen to the conversations that are happening. I don't think
0: I want to know. I don't think I want to hear. I think I want to be blissfully unaware because every, but the more I discover about this process, it just makes me disgusted. It just, it's, it's gross to people on the outside because it doesn't make sense. Like, where are we really going to go through the government might go into default again this month? And then if we get through this month, it's going to happen again in December? Like, how is it? Get your shit together, DC. I know. That's what
1: we think. I know. But this is like, how many times have we talked about the government going into default? This is just the most common conversation of all time. Like, it was going into default in in January. It was going into default in March. It's just like, a, it's kind of just like a, a hype building mechanism. And no, maybe well, it, it will happen. affects the markets.
0: It affects everything.
1: I know. But it's like the only, that's how these two political parties use it to get leverage. Like if there's some, if there's a cliff, then people start doing crazy things and they talk and they have the conversations that they think they want to have. But in the end, someone loses. They spin it so that everyone looks like they won, but they didn't. And then it rinse and repeat and it happens again. Um, but you we know, need we've these, been talking yeah, we about, we need
0: the young people to just get off their devices and fix D.C. and get in there and really revise this entire system. I mean, it's
1: just been the same old way for a really long time. And, like, I just think that the, it's partially a generational issue. I mean, what what is... What is my generation? What is your generation doing? We're just leaving it up to the old guard to keep playing the same games over and over and over again.
0: What choice and, do we have? We have, we only have two choices, right? And you cover this on your podcast. Somebody's got to win, which is, yeah. th- 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 it says it right there. Meaning it's either this person or this person. Nobody's going to be happy with either one. So what choice? I, I just sit here and I vote, but I don't, I'm just a vote in California. Right. I know. Should you so move this, to Iowa? Yeah, I think I should to uh, fix the world. I think we should all move. <laughs> Tara, I want to thank you, you for coming a, on. you handle a winter in Iowa? <laughs> I can't handle a weekend. I've done shows there. I don't think I could handle I really... a weekend. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. Well, listen, Damn. thanks for coming on. I, I really appreciate it. And I encourage everybody to watch this documentary, uh, Dr. Delirium and the Edgewood Experiments, and to get to know Tara, and then go listen to this podcast. Is it a video podcast too?
1: Uh no it's not, not yet. Oh, it's just the um, so audio. Comedians I know. video.
0: I'd love to like not care what I look like and not worry about the lighting and all the technical stuff, but you check really out look this. fab. Well thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate it. And have a very happy birthday. I hope you uh celebrate you. tonight. Yeah. I will. Try. <laughs> thank you, Tara. Thank you to everybody that listens. This podcast watches the podcast. Older episodes are on YouTube right now, and there are some great ones. In fact, I just put up the one uh, of Adam Corolla. The podcast audio is available everywhere, everywhere. It's uh, you just wherever you get your podcast, you can get Orny Adams. You can listen to this in the current episodes, the newer episodes, the video. If you want it, you want to support me, which I really appreciate. You can go on Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Orny. And if you want to correspond with me, the email is what's wrong at OrnyAdams.com. Thank you very much, Ernesto Hurtado, for helping me do the remote recording and everything else. I look forward to complaining and telling you more of what's wrong with the world and maybe, maybe even a little of what's wrong with Orny Adams in episode 91. I hope you're having a great Labor Day if you live here in the United States. And wherever you live in the world, enjoy it. Enjoy whatever you pleasure you have while it lasts.